fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, you know, it is great to be here. I just hope I can make it through this episode because the show we're watching um, is making me very emotional, um, more so than usual. Um, and, you know, discussing it might bring back some some feelings, Dan, some feelings. So I, I may need some moments. I'll just <laughs> I'm giving you a heads up. You got a little PTSD. Is that what we're talking about here? Dan? Not PTSD, just kind of that deep emotion around it, you know? Okay. Well, you may be emotional, Denon, but I know one man who has absolutely no human emotion whatsoever, and that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, this week I've been spending some serious time in the mycology lab here on the brain station. Unfortunately, I've made a horrifying discovery, a cordyceps strain that appears to infect mammalian tissue. This is incredibly scary stuff, Dan, but don't worry. I'm on the case. Well, I love that you're on the case because that is incredibly scary. I mean, almost as scary as my outfit today because I've gone <laughs> goth uh, for my uh, for my look today. I'm trying to new things out. I don't mind this, but I do have to say this lip ring is clicking against my teeth. So I do sound like uh, I've been infected by a fungus, but I have not been. I do sound like a clicker. Let's say original clicker. <laughs> An original, <laughs> original clicker. Uh, but, so we're going to talk about you know, The Last of Us, which is this great show on, on HBO. I loved the video game when it came out. I love seeing this turned into a, uh, a, a TV show because I think it is very unique. It's very legitimately scary. It does have zombie elements, but I like the natural way that they got to how everyone is so crazy. I, I'm with you, Dan. Um, again, um, the only thing I find funny with shows like this, you know, as the resident apocalypse denier, yeah. um, is the is the apocalypse feel of it. But other than mm -hmm. that, the show is awesome. I mean, but it is fictional. And, you know, we are asked to suspend disbelief. So, though, I think there are some very real biological elements that are scary that we're going to get to. Mm -hmm. The uh, apocalyptic elements, I'm glad we're not going to discuss because, you know, I don't like discussing fictional events like the apocalypse. <laughs> well, I will tell you that if there was going to be apocalypse, if cordyceps mushrooms were able to infect human beings, this might be the only real apocalypse that we've ever discussed. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, Dad, hey, real real apocalypse is an oxymoron, but okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so part of this is about mind control, right? These parasites that, that control the mind. I get worried about you, Den, and I feel like a parasite has controlled your mind to deny the apocalypse as you walk <laughs> headlong into it. That's my fear here. Uh, but I did a great episode on fascinating nouns about mind-controlling parasites. I recommend that you check it out, Denon, because I, I, I'm just worried about your state of biological affairs here. Um, but... They are the mind-controlling parasites. These are real things in nature, right? We, we kind of forget being apex predators, really. We're at the top of the food <laughs> chain. And so we don't think about all the things that can that go on in nature, but it's, it's pretty crazy. And these are real creatures that can infect a host and alter their behavior to do what's best for the parasite. It's kind of scary stuff, and some of them are fungus. And guys, I love fungus. I love the fungus among us. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think that... 
We are used to fungus, you know, infecting inanimate objects, maybe in your refrigerator, on your shelves, but we aren't used to fungus being in our bodies, mostly because our body is extraordinarily hostile to them, much less taking us over and bending us to their whim. And for some insects, this is not only a possibility, but it is their very scary reality. Well, well, Dan, first, I do want to briefly say something that I was going to say for errors and additions, perhaps, but i got to say it now. You, you've okay. kind of inspired me, too. Um, this is one reason I generally don't do research for this show. Our longtime viewers know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you inspired me to research. Um, and, and I found out that there are actually three strains of fungi that can infect me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found out fungi are part of our gut bacteria. That made me feel a little bit better. But mm-hmm. as the resident hypochondriac, I am now very, very scared, Dan. I told you I'm emotional because of the TV show. Yep. I'm now scared because I did research. I do think I have three <laughs> different fungi affecting me. Um, yeah. I expect to die any day now. So this may be our last episode as a team. Um, <laughs> and so hopefully my I didn't God. put that out in the universe too badly. Um, but I had to get that off my chest because I was feeling very nervous and scared when you mentioned we're resistant to fungi. I'm holding on to that. Um, despite having learned that there are some in me. <laughs> My God. Uh, what about you, Ben? Do you share the same level of trepidation that Denon does? Uh, I mean, a little bit. You know, I, I've, really? I've had, I've had, you know, like athlete's foot once. It was, uh, mm-hmm. it was, it was a worrisome time. Uh, yeah. And you know, it would really suck if that also uh, controlled your brain and made you uh, want to bite people or something. That seems like a that seems like a bad look. Uh, wouldn't be very yeah. popular in high school if uh, if I'd been doing that. So definitely, definitely not. I've had my bouts with athlete's foot as well. Uh, it's very common. Some of these fungus are, are very common. Our gut bacteria is a lot of you know a lot of research that says it controls our brain. So I don't think we're far yeah. off here, Denon. Uh, but I I've always really enjoyed mushrooms, guys. Fungus. <laughs> because they're extraordinarily alien in some ways, yeah. right? They're 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 kind of like plants, but not not really. You know, they're they're, they're they look. If you told me that they came from Jupiter, I would one hundred percent believe you. I did a whole fasting <laughs> nouns episode on mushrooms and their effects on human beings, and and there are there are quite a few. Um, but one thing that I really want to set the context of what we're going to talk about here, guys, because one of the cool things about this is that at the microbial level. There is a constant arms race going on between bacteria, fungus, protozoa, viruses, all vying to own their own little piece of the world. But mm-hmm. to do that, they must annihilate the other people. Yeah. And through those through those tools of annihilation, that's how we get our antimicrobials. But for them, this is a very serious war and a war that never seems to end. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of this, what people forget, Dan, you mentioned people forget like kind of the natural world, what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think what people often forget is the intense chemistry that life does. Yep. Right. I mean, we have a quote on this show, right, that biology is nature's technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also nature's chemistry. Right. Um, <laughs> so that that could be a new T-shirt, Dan. I'm just throwing it out there <laughs> in the universe. It's not nearly as catchy, but chemistry yeah. is cool. Um and, and so you do you do have um, the, these chemical warfare battles mm-hmm. um, and the, these these systems are incredibly complex at their ability to to sort of detect their environment, mm-hmm. to um, you know measure things, decide what to respond. you know, is that going to be dangerous to me? Should I go there? Should I not? Do I need to attack that? What chemical would I secrete to attack that? Is it a physical attack? You also have, 
you know, literally engulfing things, right, and surrounding mm-hmm. them and, and taking them inside. So it's a whole host of weapons. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would like to, you know, if I may quote our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just say it's a spectrum of weapons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it is true. A spectrum. spectrum of warfare. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also fascinating because it, it, it shows you kind of the evolution and how our how at this micro scale you have all these little critters fighting each other. But it's the same mm-hmm. thing at the macro scale, too, to some degree. You know, we when you look at how our our immune system works, it uses, as you mentioned, the exact same types of systems. You know, you have um, engulfing, uh, you know, blood cells, white blood cells that eat the microbes. You have uh, pheromones and all of these chemicals that are used to communicate between the cells. Um, to coordinate that attack. And, it, and it's this really mm-hmm. fascinating thing that you look at how it works on an individual basis in the microbes, and you realize that those exact same systems are used in the macro um, living things as well, but they're mm-hmm. used more systematically as, as a full approach by the whole body rather than just little guys working on their own. And one of the cool things about this whole system, right? Like we don't typically like warfare, but without question, you can't deny that what's going on in the microbial level is 100% warfare, but it's a checks and balance system. It's how they make sure that no one species, no one strain gets out of control and takes over the place. So mm-hmm. it's a very ingenious system, but in some ways, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I don't want to say I'm a misanthrope, but you know, population control is something that I've always, you know, I, I've always championed on this show, <laughs> and and checks and balances don't clearly don't exist for human beings, but they should and they might, and I feel like we're getting out of control. So will these cordyceps mushrooms? Will they be the ones who check us, or will something like this put us in check? I think it's inevitable, and I certainly hope that it doesn't happen the way it happens on this show. Because if I'm going to go out being controlled by a cordyceps mushroom and and becoming a mindless zombie for some other creature is not how I want to go down. <laughs> Well, Dan, I think one of the things you have to realize, and and we forget this, I know it feels like there aren't checks and balances on humans, but there fundamentally is. I mean, physics is the check and balance on everything at the end of the day. Um, And we we forget that to our own peril. So you had, you know, throughout history, you had the first person who realized, oh, you know, we'll have exponential population growth and the food curve won't go fast enough and, and we'll all wipe ourselves out. But in fact, exponential growth in nature it's just a fact of physics never goes forever it's a it's a property of what we call linear systems and nonlinear systems which is what we are always cut off mm-hmm. and so you know you got the black plague and the black death to in the middle ages mm-hmm. and, and renaissance to take care of that you know population control so we didn't wipe ourselves out um it, it, it's not a great way when you're in the moment to think of these disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, but nature has a way of checking even us, Dan. And it's a bit of hub- hub- hubris yeah. to think we're not going to get checked. Now, mm-hmm. it comes short of an apocalypse, but it does check us. Um, and and I think we, you know, we, I, we ignore that our, at our own peril, which is why I am a big arguer for, um, I'm with you on the population control. We as humans should choose our check which the bacteria, fungi, and viruses don't get to do, right? It's They're just sort of checking by nature. Yeah, I, there, mm-hmm. There's also um, hmm. socioeconomic checks as well. You know, you see this, that in a lot <laughs> right. of the more prosperous countries in the world, 
the birth rate goes way down because a lot of our desires for um, reproduction come from making sure you have both a lot of kids to like work on the farm or whatever back in the day, but also to make sure, you know, some of your kids actually make it. <laughs> um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if that ever was the thought process going on in humans back in the day, but certainly that's how evolutionarily speaking, some animals work. You have a ton of children and only a couple actually make it. Um, and now that we're in this world today where it's very expensive to have children and your children, generally speaking, are going to make it to adulthood. Um, we have population control that way. People just aren't having as many kids anymore. Now, the one thing that is a good point here, guys, is that the cordyceps fungus, which we see in this show, is what's called an ent- an entomopathogenic fungi. I think I said that correctly, which means it really <laughs> attacks insects, mostly ants and arthropods. But it is a mind-controlling parasite. It is a fungus. But they specialize in one species. So the cordyceps for the carpenter ant will only infect the carpenter ant for the most part. It may affect very closely associated species, but at a very diminished efficiency. But here's the here's the thing that I think we really need to think about here is that the cordyceps fungus, when it infects an insect that it is specialized to, it's 100 percent lethal. And I think that this is the show and the series that is almost 100% accurate that if the cordyceps fungus somehow jumped to human beings, it would look kind of like this. I mean, luckily our bodies are too hot for now, but I I think that this might be very similar to what humans would look like infected with cordyceps. Well, it's an interesting question, Dan, because like you said, they're designed for their species, right? Mm -hmm. And... I think, I think yes and no. There's pieces of it I really like if it was to jump to humans in the show. Um, and there's pieces I think are extraneous and might not actually be successful to evolution. And that's one of the tricky things, right? Biology is about survival and, and fittest. And this is what I love about the fungi that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. They are designed specifically for each ant. They optimize to what they can get out of that ant. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something worth thinking about um, the show does a lot of great things, but is it is this the optimal way to attack and kill humans? Mm. Which is, you know, a dark place to go. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah. I think it is a question you have to ask when you compare cordyceps and ants yeah. to cordyceps and humans. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the interesting things in general about parasites is that parasites are often highly, highly specialized to their hosts. You know, like we said, the cordyceps can only live in the ants they infect for the most part. You know, all these like worms and other things that infect animals generally speaking they can only make it in the animal they've evolved to make it in and so the idea of cordyceps infecting humans is you might have this you need to make a very big leap of evolution to go from infecting um, entomo you know uh, bugs to Mm -hmm. uh, humans (laughs) and so right it's this it's this fascinating thing that if you did make that leap um, it would be a very lucky random chance, but then mm-hmm. you'd probably need a lot of evolution to get to a point where it it works in the same way that it's actually spreadable um, and not just like immediately lethal or not spreadable. Yeah, lucky is I think a, a, a tricky term. I don't know that I would use lucky, but, lucky but I, I, I know what you meant. Uh, yeah, right, right. Uh, perspective, <laughs> right. It's all about perspective. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I I think that. 
I, I think that when when it comes to the cordyceps, I. I I think that it being specific, right? Mm-hmm. It having that that hyper specificity is really what makes it viable, right? It's yeah. why it hasn't taken over right. it, because it it doesn't kill every ant. It just kills one particular ant. If it killed every ant, there wouldn't mm-hmm. be any more ants. I mean, now, now <laughs> a cordyceps, you know, one ant that goes up and spreads its seeds down. We're going to talk about how it works in a second. Can destroy a colony. But yeah. it's not going to s- destroy all the ants, which are very important. Ants are extraordinarily True. important to, to the biological world. So I think that it, that that is its advantage in some ways. That's what keeps it around is its specificity. Otherwise, you know. But we should say there's a cordyceps for nearly every ant out there as well. So yes. it's So over, over the millions of years of evolution, there are cordyceps for a lot of different species. And it's just that if one... Uh, if one colony gets infected, the neighboring colony that's a different species isn't going to get infected because that colony right. was infected. Well, the cordyceps has to work harder to get to the other people, too. Yeah. Other ants. And, and the other interesting thing about this, Dan, is there's not just the battle between the fungi, the bacteria, and the viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool. I mean, yes, it's 100% lethal if it breaks through, but the ant does actually have... Um, an immune system of some sort, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and the ants do fight the cordyceps. There is a battle between the cordyceps and the ant at the initial stages. And it was kind of cool to learn and read about ants sort of trying to clean fungi off each other mm-hmm. and ants doing this. But the coolest thing, and this is why I may do research in the future, mm-hmm. the coolest thing I learned was about a cordyceps that evolved to attack the cordyceps that was attacking the ants. What? <laughs> so there's a cord... Yes, exactly. Cordyceps so and cordyceps crime? Str- Yes, there's a strain of cordyceps that wow. hangs out in the ant colony and attacks the cordyceps that's about to attack the ants Jeez. and leverages them and uses them. So this this you know this chemical biological warfare yeah. is constant. Yeah. Wow. You are always watching your back if you're a fungi. Like it is not a calm life. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean that just goes to the nature, the interconnectedness of all these things. You know, we have the gut bacteria that help us, um, you know, digest our food and things like that. And there are ants that. You know, they have colonies of they also have colonies of molds and, and fungi that break down the leaves that they then eat. You know, there mm-hmm. there's yeah. this whole interconnectedness and reliance on various uh, microbes. And it's, it's just a fascinating web of life that goes on <laughs> in even the, these tiniest of creatures. No, I think so. But I want to talk quickly about how the cordyceps works. We, we got to get yeah. to this because. Yep. So the spores, they're microscopic little balls that have everything the cordyceps needs to grow. It mm-hmm. lands on an ant. And like you said, at that point, then it, it can be cleaned off. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put up a, an article about this, this study that was done where if the ants can clean the cordyceps fungus off at that point, they have a much higher chance of surviving. And it's actually detrimental to the cordyceps in, in general. But if it does land through a combination of both mechanical movement, basically the the spore falling into the right crack in the ant, and it using enzymes to dissolve the exoskeleton, like chitinase, which is one, so Mm. that dissolves the chitin, or, you know, however you say that, uh, the the hard shell, the outer shell of the ant, it can dissolve that, it gets inside, and now it starts growing. Mm. And the spore turns into mycelium, which are these long, root-like structures now, here's the, here's the thing, guys. It doesn't actually infect the brain itself. 
what it does is it takes over the body, dissolves the tissue, replaces the ant tissue with fungus tissue, and then releases a bunch of chemicals that act almost, I guess, like a second brain where it is now making the ant want to go to a humid place. It's making it want to go into the air to increase elevation so that it can climb up above the colony, grab onto a leaf in what's called a death grip, and then the fungus kills it and sprouts, shoots his big stalk out of the back of its neck, out of 100% out of a horror movie, and then starts shooting <laughs> those spores all over the other ants in the colony. It's a pretty devastating process, but one that is shockingly simple, um, and it's almost brilliant in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. Well, what I also lo- love about it, to the degree that you love something like this, Yeah, I was wondering what your wife is in love, but that's, you know, I, 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 I <laughs> yeah, respect yeah. Your, your appreciation. <laughs> you know, there's sort of a beauty of the the choice of the way to do this chemically, right? I mean, we 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 hear like in, in Last of Us in the movie and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and you have this this at least I did too until I you know learned more about it. You have this sense of it's taking over the brain, mm-hmm. as in kind right. of like replacing the brain or mm-hmm. growing on the brain. And when you think about it, that is a dumb strategy, right? Mm-hmm. It is much better to take over the brain through chemical injections mm-hmm. right right that just yeah. inter- interfere with the receptors and in fact chemicals that are sort of somewhat native like hmm. ants do climb yep. Yep. ants do bite and hold on to leaves right, right, right. so you're using the built-in functionality yeah. <laughs> right um, and and taking over the chemical system just flooding it with a particular chemical and I find that you know when you understand the sort of the chemistry of biology and how this all works and it's all about receptors and signals, that that to me is really awesome. So I I, I kind of in the abstract find that ap- approach beautiful, Dan, uh, even for its horror. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What what's interesting about that process, right? What's cool about ants, and this is how they separate themselves from humans in some ways. Ants work as an entire group. The colony is its own, basically its own personality. The char- the colony is a character right. made up of all these individual ants. I did a whole Fascinating mm-hmm. Nouns episode on ants, which is, you got to check this one out because ants are really cool in the way they communicate. But what they do is if they detect this, that an ant is infected and they'll start acting a little weird and the ants will know <laughs> something's not right, another ant will grab it and take it and put it as far away from the colony as possible, almost in a suicide mission because inevitably that ant might get infected as well. Right. Uh, but there's all these systems where the ants are like, this is pretty devastating and they have a system in place to get rid of the, the ants that are starting to act a little funny. And this is very different, I think, from the movie, Dan, where we as humans have the moral conundrum of is the infected person still human or not? And yeah. it comes out a lot in the show. And I told you I'm going to yeah. get emotional. This is one of those emotional moments. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. So this is where maybe we have a lot of great strengths in our immune system, mm-hmm. but this may be one where the ants kind of, um, because they are such a collective, mm-hmm. um, may have a greater strength where they're willing to do this, the sacrificial mission right. um, for the good of the colony. Yeah. Right. Now, I, I think that's a really uh, interesting thought there because the ants, you know, when we think about ants, we think of this self-sacrifice, this uh, devotion to the whole rather than the individual. And when you think about uh, humans, you, you don't get that very often. And so <laughs> ever, ever, ben, ever, ever, well, maybe in a few individuals here and there. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's about as rare as genius, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's probably true. So, mm-hmm. 
I think that's something to think about when you when you imagine this Last of Us infection, this this post apocalyptic hellscape of every you know all these cordyceps infected humans. You know, would people be willing to uh, you know run off to the the garbage pit so that they don't um, infect others? You know, it, it's this really difficult uh, problem of how could we set up the proper uh, systems to keep the cordyceps in check? And the reality, I think, from what we've seen with infectious uh, diseases recently is no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100% not. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the crazy thing about this is even so when a cordyceps is currently attacking a colony. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that, you know, even if they're taken, even if the ants are taken away, um, when you look over, if you scan the area around the colony where the cordyceps have taken hold, it is a strange and very eerie death field of mm-hmm. fruiting bodies in, you know, these dead ants fruiting with, with cordyceps growing out of the back of their head all yeah. around this colony. It's mm-hmm. pretty, it's, it's a scary look, these, these death fields. You know, and, and I think The Last of Us, might be one of the few shows that I've seen that actually takes what happens in real life and almost has to dumb it down or to use a gaming term to nerf it in some ways, mm-hmm. because what we see on TV is almost less virulent than what you see in real life. So, for yeah. example, this is only passed through bite on the on the show, but yeah. spores would be a much more devastating carrier because I am currently in with every breath that I take, I am breathing in some fungus spore that is hopefully not pathogenic. And this happens every breath of every day. It's happening to you guys as well. And so spores are a very efficient way to hit a lot of people at once. And if that's the way it worked, we'd be doomed. Well, I think with your doom statement there, Dan, I just went into my happy space of the police song, Every Breath You Take, since you made that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> um, They're watching you, Dan. So, so yeah. I then blanked out on everything else, right? <laughs> um, no, but, but, you know, it's an interesting question, and I go back to evolution and, and how to attack humans, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, the uh, cordyceps has been very successful in a process that before you spread— it kills the current host, right? If you think right. about yeah, it, right, right. Yeah. the act of spreading is killing the current host. Yeah. It's an interesting question with humans, right? Yes, spores go everywhere, but let's keep in mind, um, our, you, we don't have chitin or kitten or chitin or whatever ants have as their surface, yeah, and none right? Of that. So you're, the current enzymes don't work for getting through our skin. Our yeah. skin is a very good barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, spores we typically breathe and we've designed very well, you know, things the size of spores, our lungs are pretty good at rejecting. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've got good defenses there. Um, recently we've learned about masks. It's a new technology. It was a breakthrough in medical science of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Um, those things they discovered way back when that they wear for surgery was something different, obviously. Sure. Um, yeah. (laughs) Um, and, and our masks can keep spores out very easily, Mm -hmm. um, because they're much bigger than other things. So I would argue that the spore version of the cordycep is actually a a very poor strategy Hmm. to take over humans. Hmm. And so from my mind, having an alternate spreading mechanism, Mm -hmm. which is keep your host alive and have it run around and do direct infection through some mechanism, Hmm. um, seems an interesting and useful biological evolution for the cordyceps, right, to actually be able infect us and use us as a host. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's still a spore, it's it's obviously tricky. But 
I mean, mm-hmm. we see that the most successful pathogens in humans are the ones that don't kill us. Um, because mm-hmm. if you kill your host, you're not going to keep spreading. You know, if you think mm-hmm. about what's really prevalent, it's, you know, rhinovirus, it's the cold, it's the flu, it's those things. Those are the things that have been around forever and will never, ever, ever go away because they, they generally speaking, don't kill you and they spread very, very, very easily. So mm-hmm. in order for cordyceps to be the same way, it needs to not kill you. It needs to, or it needs to not kill you quickly. Um, and it needs to not be obvious that you're infected, uh, but you need to be contagious before it's obvious you're infected. That's the real trick. And that's mm-hmm. the true sign of success amongst uh, microbes in the human pathogen field. <laughs> well, they, ha- they, can- they can't kill the body, but they can control it. So you're chemically yeah, you're yeah chemically, exactly you're yeah, chemically yeah, yeah. dead i mean you might as well you, you mean you're, you're basically in a coma chemically induced coma and then the you know the cordyceps has, has taken over not uh, but well, this is, not necessarily it could just be influencing your decisions it doesn't have to kill you to make you a spreader okay that, that's fair enough fair enough but you are still a, you're functional like you're not life hasn't yes. ended in your brain yeah it's yes. just been it's been usurped your power <laughs> yeah. and control has been usurped uh, but there's a couple other interesting things that I think on the last of us that they do that aren't they aren't inherent to cordyceps but they are a part of like what fungus do in general which is cool which includes that they're all kind of interconnected you know we see the mycelium on the ground every you know infected knows where people are based on you know if you've triggered one guy then all of a sudden all the people in the area know so there's this interconnected idea which with this interconnected web of mycelium which is kind of cool this is actually more akin to slime mold which isn't a mold at all. We've talked about it uh, quite a bit, but slime mold does have this sense of communal intelligence, similar to to ants, right? Mm -hmm. Where all of these individuals contribute to the hive mind, right? So we see that. Uh, Information is passed on, you know, as well. And they have mycelium that comes out of their mouth. This is the sport thing you're talking about then. And this is not what cordyceps do, but it is an interesting adaptation. So it is possible that maybe this cordyceps mushroom and another fungus were able to, you know, mix together in that old genetic bag and do all these things that we see. Well, here's one thing that worries me, Dan, about how you would get there, mm-hmm. right? You had mentioned, um, you know, human bioengineering and stuff. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I learned is in the battle between bacteria and fungi, I mean, we have CRISPR technology that we stole from nature. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that quote, Dan, about biology and nature uh, it's and biology technology? Biology is nature's technology, which if you don't <laughs> yeah. remember, i got to send you one of these shirts, Dan, and you can just look down, you look know. at your chest, and say, look at this brilliant <laughs> so, thought. Yeah, this brilliant quote, yeah. right? So we stole this from bacteria, mm-hmm. and I learned um, that bacteria, one way they fight fungi mm-hmm. is they use CRISPR to take out and do gene splicing. Right. Jeez. And get part of the gene from the fungi so then they can recognize it next time around and attack it. Yeah. Well, imagine if, you know, some mushrooms and some cordyceps were accidentally spliced together by the bacteria defending itself. And now suddenly you had the mushroom with the wood wide web and all its mycelium that can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And you had the cordyceps with the way it attacked and controlled the brain. And mm-hmm. you get the mycelium connection, mm-hmm. the brain control. Wow. And it's all due to some rogue bacteria crispering things together. <laughs> I mean, it could be that, but it could also be Jeez. a symbiotic a symbiotic relationship too. There's nothing to say that um, you know you have the the ground mycelium and the cordyceps just working together, um, creating this 
symbio- symbiosis because lots of things work together. You know, you mm-hmm. like you've mentioned the bacteria. You know, we work with our bacteria in our gut to mm-hmm. digest our food. There's nothing to say that the cordyceps couldn't make use of this mycelium network to communicate with other other members of its species because it's there, it's accessible. Why not use it? Just like we have the internet now. Well, so this is very eerily similar to what we talked about in our AI episode, or at least that I brought it up where AI, once it is able to communicate wirelessly to all the other robots in the world, you got a real problem on your hands. Uh, it's kind of yeah. the same way if the bacteria can tap in to that, can biologically tap into the wood wide web, which is the whole network of fungus uh, that, that goes on in the root the system of tree roots, which is a great system in and of itself. That's a pretty scary thought. You guys actually went darker than I did, uh, That which is... Well, Dad... Yeah. Yeah, that's hard to do. Yeah. Go darker than you. But I have yeah. a hope. Ben inspired me. Okay. I'm going to go have a very close conversation with my gut bacteria. Yeah. I'm going to build up that relationship yeah. um, and really make sure we're working together in a strong way. Give them a heads up. Yeah. Fungi <laughs> might be coming. Yeah. Um, I need their help. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are my first line of defense. And let's 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 take down the fungi together. Yeah. I like it. You really need that social game. You got to have that social politics. Yeah. You got uh, you to find out what their favorite food is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got to feed them what they want, guys, and then they'll be on your side. Well, the other interesting thing here before we move on is that in this show, we see the infected don't really see pain. Uh, They're able to do all kinds of crazy things with their body. And this is part of that chemical interaction. If you can control the body's chemistry, you can really control perception of the what the brain perceives and especially in the early stages when you don't want other people to know that you're infected uh, and things like that this is a great way to to hide all of those signs and you know and then once you wanted to run and chase somebody and bite them even if they're fighting you off and stabbing you in the arm you're not going to know because they've released a bunch of you know dopamine and serotonin and painkillers uh so it gets very complex chemically and I think that, to me, oddly, was kind of a realistic element of this, Dan, because mm-hmm. when you think of the physiology of of your brain and how many things you're controlling, right, mm-hmm. and how, I mean, think about, like, l- learning a new sport, yep. right, mm-hmm. um, and this idea of being coordinated and hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. It's not trivial. It takes a ton of moving parts. So I certainly imagine if I'm a, sort of at that fungi level – I probably only have a few chemicals available to me, you know, a few choices of which receptors I can attack, which things I can trigger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably a core part of that human brain in there that's still tr- struggling to kind of stay in control. Yeah. So you are going to walk kind of weirdly and funny because right. part <laughs> of you is probably trying to override this and the yeah. fungus is just winning. Um, the pain thing, totally, mm-hmm. right? The fungus, I mean... We, we all know from every horror movie, science fiction, fantasy thing, right? Pain is the way you snap people out of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so first thing you got to evolve is a pain blocker so they don't get snapped out of yeah. it. So I find this oddly realistic and dark. Well, especially yeah. it, that pain also allows you to, to raise what they can do, right? People stop running because their muscles hurt. If you get rid of that pain, they right. can run forever. You know, it's yeah. kind of, yeah. you know, and, and that's part of, you know, that hallucinogenic hold, right, is that, that power of the mind. It's not, you know, cordyceps aren't the only ones that do it. There are lots of psychotropic mushrooms, mushrooms that we take recreationally. And by we, I don't mean the yeah. brain trust, of course, but I mean, maybe <laughs> I don't want to speak for you guys. It's possible. But it's these are things that. 
you know, people are, are there, you know, there's the God's flesh in Mexico, which is this big hallucinogenic mushroom. There's uh, ergo. I think it's er er ergot, which is the rye fungus, which causes hallucinations, mm -hmm. may have been responsible for the mass hysteria at the Salem witch trials. You got psilocybin mushrooms. You got the Amanita muscara mushroom, which, of course, anyone who's played Super Mario Brothers knows that red cap and white dots. Mm. And its cousin, the death cap mushroom, which is also an Amanita uh, genus mushroom, it kills people. Uh, it affects them, their, their entire nervous system. So the fungus, there are plenty of fungus who are able to manipulate the brains and the psychology and, the, and, and induce hallucinations in human beings. This is not uncommon at all. Not at all. I, I'm so glad you brought this up, Dan, because th this just goes to show how easily cordyceps could take us over because you don't have to, you know, move our body, you know, take over, you know, your leg movements or whatever. You just have to make people want to go out and see other people. And that mm -hmm. could be through making you feel lonely. It could be making you feel sociable. There's mm -hmm. probably all sorts of strange chemical signalings that the, the cordyceps could use to get that infection rate up. And I want to say one thing really quickly, Denon, is that al alcohol does that. You could have a cordyceps that just gets a little bit of alcohol, take those social barriers down, and all of a sudden you're the life of the party dancing around infecting everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, Dan, um, another little personal story in that. So I, I actually don't okay. really drink alcohol a lot mm -hmm. or do drugs. Um, a lot? But I, I, <laughs> not at all. Not a lot. Um, but apparently, in, in the theme of Glass Onion, if they haven't watched it, mm -hmm. um, I am an eccentric genius. Yep. <laughs> um, and it, it was a bit scary to me at, at sort of high school dances and a few other places. Um, apparently, I don't need alcohol to lower my social barriers. And I had occasionally had people come up to me and ask if they could have any of the drugs I was currently on <laughs> when I was not on drugs. So yeah. um, not sure what that says about me, Dan. Mm -hmm. um, does make me a little, I, I don't know if that means I'm more or less susceptible mm. to the cordyceps that's going to attack yeah. if I have a natural state that's equivalent to this. Mm. Well, I, people have said the same thing about me. I, I don't I do not do any, I don't do drugs, do, don't drink alcohol either. And I, I, I like to have fun at a party. I don't need those things, you know, to that social... Yeah. The social anxiety, which may affect some people, just doesn't affect me. I happen to be lucky that way. But for those that do, this would be a way for the, for the mushroom and cordyceps uh, to get in there and uh -huh. do all the things you want them to do, Ben, which is manipulate Absolutely. them out <laughs> and go around people, right? And and, yeah. and alcohol also comes from a fungi, right? Yeast. <laughs> Boom. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-oh. And, and, there's, uh -oh. and there's, there's also a thing called auto brewery disorder where you, you yep. ferment in your, own, <laughs> yes. in your own body. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, maybe, maybe th that they're triggering that too. There's all sorts of possibilities uh, when, you, <laughs> when you're talking about what fungi could do to us. So I'm really excited about this episode, Dan, because now I started out scared because of my research. I am never leaving this room. I am in my chair. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> well, so let's think about how this is possible really quickly, because I think there are three ways that you could have cordyceps that could actually mutate and infect humans. I think it's remote, but a couple of things. Number one, we do know uh, the recent pandemic uh, was probably caused in a Chinese virology lab. I don't know. I'm not spreading conspiracy I theories. About that. <laughs> uh, I that. I think there's th there's a possibility, but we do know that in that lab they were doing gain of function, and so creating you know it, you start giving giving bacteria, viruses, fungus abilities that they don't have naturally. We're just increasing that evolution. That's one way you could do mm -hmm. this. Climate change is making things more heat resistant and 
part of our big defense is the natural heat of our body. If that goes down and they become more heat resistant, now they can be in our body as well. Colony collapse disorder. Bees were getting infected or getting exposed to pesticides. It was weakening their immune system. And now all of a sudden, these parasites, these mites, these other things start attacking the bees, and then the colony collapses. So I think a combination of weakening our immune system, creating heat-resistant bacteria either naturally or in a lab setting could make this possible, uh, but I sure hope not. I'm with you. I sure hope not too, Dan. I I think those are three good things. Um, I did kind of mention my other fear of the bacteria doing the engineering through the CRISPR technology Mm -hmm. um, and engineering a crazy fungi. Um, I do think, you know, in the immune system space, um, an intriguing, like, counter defense we might have um, that makes us more susceptible to, say, viruses and bacteria, perhaps, is our immune systems I've read, and I'm going to throw out some biology here with confidence, without knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because children aren't exposed to as many diseases, this is why we have so many allergies now, Mm -hmm. right? And spores are much more like an allergy response. So I do think our safety valve here, Dan, Mm -hmm. is that this is fungi spore-based. And the one thing we're getting really good at is having allergies to reject those sort of things. Right. So I'm banking this all on the allergy response system. Okay. Um, the, the three the three things you outlined terrify me, and I think all could happen. Yes, I think it's true. I mean, one of the other weird things I saw, and maybe this is the thing that kind of creeps me about out about all this, is it kind of seems like uh, cordyceps infected bugs are a delicacy in some places in the world. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if I'd be comfortable uh, eating something that had... Uh, Brain controlled its host and killed it. Uh, that seems a little, yeah, seems a little risky to me. <laughs> I mean, some people bury eggs for for weeks and then you dig them out of the ground and eat them as well. So I think human being the, the palate of yeah. human beings runs of a, a spectrum. What we decide to eat is sometimes based on history, culture, and availability. So I mean, there might have been a point where you know there was nothing else to eat except that insect, and, yeah. and lo and behold, you know. Uh, it, it, how we eat things as human beings is very odd. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> I do love mushrooms, and so mm-hmm. it probably would taste good. I mean, maybe our maybe our listeners in the comments below should tell us if they would eat a cordyceps <laughs> bug. <laughs> right. uh, I, I'd be curious if, if who wants to try that. Well, going through your stomach is one thing. I don't recommend that anyone puts uh, any of that cordyceps underneath their skin, especially behind their brainstem. I would highly discourage that uh, if I could. Uh, but, you know, because being immune is one thing that you want. And we do have a lot of play- things in place, Dennis, you mentioned. So uh, I think we're relatively safe now. Um, and, and let's hope that that continues into the future. Now, we may be immune to that, but what we are not immune to, guys, is making a couple of mistakes. So here's our errors, additions, and omissions section, things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Dennis, do you have anything about The Last of Us, Cordyceps, or having something odd and alien controlling your mind? Um, two quick things. Unlike Ben, I do not like mushrooms, and I don't eat them in any form, <laughs> in addition to not doing the drugs. It's one of those foods that I've just never been able to, um, to, to get into my body. So that's helping me feel a little safe here. Um, the other thing that just I was intrigued by, I mentioned how like um, having the root system, the mycelium connect to each other was a, a fascinating and par- partially realistic part. I tried to watch carefully because it very rarely seemed that once they started moving that they were actually connected mm-hmm. anymore. Mm. Um, so there was that minor, I'm just going to have to give it a minor ding, Dan, mm-hmm. for how do you have a root system connected to the moving humans? Um 
maybe a slight inconsistency error there. If it wasn't so emotional, I'd watch it again to see if they really made that mistake. <laughs> well, they, they briefly separate maybe, and then they go play plug themselves back into that chemically, is my guess. Yeah, I mean, to, to pile on there, I think, I think that does make sense because if you imagine one of these stalkers or runners or clickers walking around on the carpet of the uh, Last of Us w- Wide Web or whatever you want to call yep, this right. uh, <laughs> network, uh, you know, you, the presumably ev- even that trauma to the mycelium that are in the ground, they could s- sense just that, just those steps and say, oh, well, you know, you got somebody walking that way. There's probably something worth walking towards. I think so. And and one of the things we got to walk towards are your errors, additions, and omissions section, Ben. Things you wanted to talk about, but we don't have time to get into. Is there anything you wanted to mention? Oh, I was going to say that was it. <laughs> oh, that was it. Oh, look at that. Hey, oh, hey, what do you say about that? Uh, so I have two things here. Number one, uh, what I like about this is at some point they do find civil camps of civilization, groups of people, and they do a lot of bartering. And I did this great episode on the economics of the undead. Like what would happen in a post-apocalyptic situation like how would you barter for things that was one of my my favorite thoughts like what what has value what doesn't uh and we can look to our prison system for that because there are lots of bartering in a prison system as we talked about on a previous episode uh Mm -hmm. about escape from new york and that also brings me to the quarantine zones which are kind of a prison by choice it's almost like a reverse prison where you go there to be safe and be around a bunch of people and and give up your freedoms for safety so it's kind of a reverse prison system going on there. Uh, but of course, if there's anything that we missed that you wanted to mention, you can get in touch with us on social media. You can find the show on Facebook at Pod. I'm sorry, Facebook is at FGGBT and Twitter's at Pod. And the email is questions at FGGBT.com. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just flip my name at Den and Michael. But on Facebook, you got to stick a prof in there. Not a pod, a prof. <laughs> at Prof Den and Michael. Perfect. Uh, what about you, Ben? Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. Well, how do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S C R. And that can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn and on Facebook at analytical mastermind. And of course, if you want to find this show, check it out on the world wide web, not the wood wide web, the regular human, human interactable world wide web. And that's www.ftriplegbt.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate review and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show has given you lots of information that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination, be them humans or diabolical fungus. So take what we give you and do good with it. Remember, when presented the choice, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? 
We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.